Ruth chapter 2, if you would please join me there in Ruth chapter 2. We started to look at this beautiful story together last week and found that at the beginning it's not such a beautiful story, it's a pretty dark story, and, um, but still a story that glimmers with hope. And so we're going to take a look at the second chapter this week. Ruth chapter 2, and like I did with the first chapter, I know it's a little bit longer, um, but I do want us to really get to know this story and to hear the words that God has given to us. So I'm going to read the whole chapter. Uh, Ruth chapter 2, hear now the word of the Lord. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field, or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. Then she rose to glean. Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also, pull out some from the bundles. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean. And do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. And she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? 
And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your help now as we come to this chapter, to this story. We see so much beauty uh, and sacrificial love here. And and we love it, um, but we struggle to live it. And so I pray that as we consider these words, as we consider this narrative, your Holy Spirit um, would awaken us, a heart of faith, to hear you, and that that faith would produce obedience in our lives. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't you wish your relationships looked like Ruth chapter 2? Uh, Don't you wish our society looked like Ruth chapter 2? Just think about what happens here. We left Ruth and Naomi last week. They've they've come to Bethlehem, which is a good thing. And there's this glimmer of hope at the end of chapter 1 that there's a barley harvest that is happening. But that immediately raises a problem. Because in Israel, the connection to the land and to the harvest was through the males in the family. And Naomi and Ruth had lost all their males. Right? And so they're in Bethlehem, there's a harvest happening, but there's no real way for them to connect to that harvest. But what happens by the end of the chapter? They have more food than they know what to do with. Do you notice the difference between Naomi at the end of chapter 2 and the Naomi at the end of chapter 1? The end of chapter 1, she is bitter. She's changing her name. I am Mara. God has forsaken me. The end of chapter 2, God's kindness is still showing on the living and the dead. And this change happens because of a partnership between the ultimate insider and the ultimate outsider. Boaz, the ultimate insider. Wealthy, privileged. He is a man in a man's world. Um, He has status. He has a great reputation. He is a noble man. On the inside of Bethlehem society. Ruth, the ultimate outsider. Uh, In this culture, the wrong gender, the wrong race. A barren, poor widow. From Moab. Ultimate outsider. And what happens here is, is these two form a partnership. They work together to bring life to Naomi and to Ruth. They work to create fullness where there was emptiness. 
It's a generative friendship. It's a friendship that produces life. Don't you wish your friendships were like that? Your family? Our city? Don't we wish it looked like this where our relationships with each other produced fullness and life? How does that happen? How do relationships become like this? Well, I want to look at this story, and I think here we'll find two resources. Two resources for creating life-giving relationships. First resource is God's design. Second resource is God's love. So first of all, let's look at God's design. Behind what happens in the book of Ruth is a set of instructions that God had given to His people. Uh, Of course, if you'll remember from the book of Exodus, God rescues the descendants of Abraham from slavery in Egypt, and He brings them to Sinai, right? This mountain, it's on fire, there's smoke, and Moses goes up, and God gives him the law. And what God was saying to His people is, I'm bringing you into this land. Like I said last week, He's bringing them to a table. He's bringing them to life, to a harvest. And then God says to them, here's how I want you to live in that land. Here's how you are to act, how you are relate to me and to each other in this land that I'm giving to you. And an important part of God's instructions to His people was how to deal with those who have been alienated from the land. Those who are separated from the harvest. And there were four groups in particular. There were people who were in debt and so had, had to sell away their land to pay their debts. There were widows, because they had lost their husband's connection. There were orphans. And there were strangers or aliens, people who were not descendants of Abraham. They were from outside the nation of Israel. And all these people lacked a connection to the land. And so God gave His people instructions for bringing them into the harvest, for bringing them into the gift that God was giving to His people. And what we see in Ruth chapter 2 and throughout this book are two uh, particular laws, or two groups of laws in particular. One had to do with relatives, and the relatives of a widow had the responsibility to provide for her. Um, In some cases, it meant someone marrying her and providing children through her. Uh, Some cases, it meant repurchasing land that she might have lost. But there were a set of laws that said, if you're this woman's family, here are ways that you need to take care of her. This is what we see at the beginning and the end of the chapter when we find out that Boaz is a close relative and Naomi says he's a redeemer. She's saying he's one of these relatives who can help us deal with our problem who can uh, connect us to the land. The second group of laws had to do with how the people of Israel harvested their crops. God said when you harvest your crops, you're not to pick them clean. Don't take everything off the plants. Leave some behind, usually on the corners of the field, so that these groups of people, the widows, the orphans, the strangers, those in debt, can come and they can benefit from from the land as well. Isn't that beautiful? That God built into this society a way to take those who were disadvantaged, who were separated from the life that He was given to them, and He built into this society ways to bring them into life, bring them into fullness. And that's why God's people celebrated the laws that He has given to them 
they celebrated the gift of the law at the Feast of Pentecost. Uh, this was a party they had every year, and it celebrated Sinai, the gift of the law, and it also celebrated the barley harvest, which is happening here in Ruth. Which is why during this festival, God's people always read the book of Ruth. Because in the book of Ruth, we see the connection of law and harvest. Right? We see how God's design that He had given to His people provided life for those who were most at risk. Do you see why they celebrated this design? Do you see why this is such a beautiful design? We, we don't tend to look at God's law that way. Uh, we tend to look at the law as something scary. Um, we don't like being told what to do, right? Um, and if you were to go to any of the campuses around us who are starting school in the next few weeks, and you were to talk about the Christian faith, one of the criticisms, objections you would get to the Christian faith is the laws of the Bible. Um, we in our culture tend to see those as overly restrictive, as oppressive, as regressive. And so we don't look at the law as something beautiful, as something that is a gift. And I want to respond to that criticism with two points. It's a complicated question, and I can't deal with the whole thing tonight. But I want to make two points. First of all, you are going to live by someone's design. Your relationships are going to take on somebody's design. Okay, whether it's a religion, whether it is your family, whether it is the culture around you, you are going to live by somebody's design. As the great theologian Bob Dylan said, you got to serve somebody. Okay, and that is a reality of our lives, that's a reality of our relationships. And in light of that, would you consider the beauty of God's design? God's law is not some cold city code. (laughs) It's choreography. It's a dance. Where those who are outside are brought in. Where those who are hungry are fed. Where those who are culturally dead are brought to life. Do you see the beauty of God's design for relationships? Do you see the beauty of God's design for your life? And yes, our culture has changed and our relationship to the Old Testament laws has changed in some ways after Jesus. But Jesus still calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Which is what happens in this chapter, right? Boaz loves his neighbors as himself. God's law is a gift. It is something beautiful. It's why the psalmist, the poet in the book of Psalms in the Old Testament said, Oh, how I love your law. It is my delight. It tastes sweet. It's dessert for me. Do you look at God's design that way? Is that your perspective? It's the perspective of Boaz and Ruth here. They both, in their actions, go beyond God's instructions to them. They don't just precisely follow the rules. They embrace the intention of God's design. Boaz especially. It's almost humorous how far he goes in fulfilling God's design. Um, So Ruth is in the field. She's taking advantage of of this law that she can come and she can glean uh, what is left over in the field uh, from these harvesters. 
And Boaz comes and he asks about her and he knows what she has done for her mother-in-law. And, and so he, she, he, first of all, protects her because a foreign single woman in a field was, was not a safe position to be in. So he, he ensures that she is protected. He says, come and, and walk with my women because you're going to end up in the right places to get the most grain, to get the most barley. So walk with my women. And then it's lunchtime and Ruth, come over to our table. Here, have some of my lunch. And then I love what he does with these reapers. He, he says, I want you to pretend like you have dropped part of what you're gathering. So you're walking along and, oh, oops, and then leave it there and don't stop her from picking it up. What is Boaz doing? He's loving his neighbor. He is going beyond the letter of the law to the spirit of the law. He is embracing the intention of God's design. He is living delight in the commands that God has given to His people. And that's how we should respond to God's commands to us. That should be the kind of obedience that we want in our lives. It's the difference between a beginning tennis player and Roger Federer. Okay? I'm, I'm not a huge tennis fan, but I love to watch Federer play because the game of tennis is in his bones. Okay, When he plays, he's not working hard to follow all the rules and remember exactly what his coach told him. It's, it's a part of his body. It's beautiful to see. And that is the goal of God's work in our lives, that His design for us and for our relationships would become a part of our bones, would so own us that our obedience looks natural, not forced. Think about the resources in your life. Do you look at them the way Boaz did? Boaz saw his resources as a gift from God for others. Is that the way you look at your stuff? My tendency is it's a gift from myself to be protected from others. But Jesus calls us to love our neighbors as ourself. And so we should pursue an obedience that is generous. It is extravagant in following Christ's call on our lives. Now, is that intimidating to you? I hope so, because it's very intimidating to me. I like the idea, but I know the reality in my life. I know that my obedience does not have the extravagance that, w- that I see in Boaz, in Ruth. That uh, my obedience does not flow naturally uh, and beautifully like we see in this chapter. And that's why we need to keep looking here and see that there's something else going on in Ruth chapter 2. It's not just a story about God's design, about God's law. It's also a story about God's love. It's clear at the beginning of the story that 
God is up to something. Um, it's funny to me the way this chapter starts because it starts with a spoiler. Right? It's like that person who doesn't want to let you watch the whole movie before you find out Mel Gibson's really dead. You know, um, and and so the storyteller can't hold back the good news, and right from the beginning says, Boaz is a close relative. He's a noble. He's a great guy. He loves God, and he loves his neighbors. Um, and the point there is, pay attention. This story is not by accident. It's not random. It is by design. There is a plan here. God is at work. And we see that then in verse 3 where Ruth happens to come to Boaz's field, this close relative of Naomi. And we see this beautiful partnership form. And then Naomi names what is going on here. She tells us what is happening in this story in verse 20. Look at it again with me. She has heard from Ruth what has happened. She sees all the food on her table. And uh, then in verse uh, 20, she says, And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi is saying, is what, what has happened in this day that Ruth went to this field and has been filled up is a result of of the kindness of God. This word kindness is the Hebrew word hesed. Okay? It's a very important word in the Old Testament. It is the dominant word in the book of Ruth. It occurs more than any other word. Some uh, translations do it kindness. Some translations loving kindness. It's a really hard word to translate into English. Um, kindness is too soft. Um, it's, it's bigger than that. And what this word is, is God's posture towards His people. It is, it is how God relates to the descendants of Abraham. You will remember that God created a relationship with them and He called it a covenant. He makes a covenant with them. And that covenant is the expression of hesed. It is God's commitment to their good. It is His covenant love for them. And love is dangerous because we think of love in kind of a sentimental way. But God's love is deep and loyal and abiding. The pursuit of what is best for this group of people. That's what His kindness is. That is His love. It is His covenant love for them. How He had committed Himself to them. And Naomi says, that's, what ha- that's what's happening in this story. That's why you happen to go to Boaz's field. That's why Boaz so overwhelmingly cared for you and provided for us. It is a result of the covenant love of God for His people. And notice how deeply these characters live in that truth. You can see it in the way that they talk. When Boaz comes to the workers in his field, does he just say, alright guys, how are we doing today? How's business today? No, he says, the Lord be with you. And they respond, the Lord bless you. Those are, those are covenant words. What they're saying is, what we're doing here in harvesting this field, it is not just business. It, it is an expression of God's love for us. 
and our opportunity to express that love to each other. And then when Ruth is baffled by Boaz's kindness to her, how does he explain it? Look at verse 12. She says, Why have you taken notice of me, a foreigner? Verse 12, this is Boaz's explanation. The Lord repay you for what you have done. A full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. See what he's saying? He's saying, Ruth, you have committed yourself to Naomi and to Naomi's God. Now what you are experiencing is God's even deeper commitment to you. You have placed yourself under the wings of God. And as a result of that, this is all that I am doing for you. All of my kindness for you is an expression of God's covenant love for His people. If God's law is the choreography of what we see in Ruth, then His love is the music. And it would be easy for us to read this chapter and applaud. That's a beautiful dance. That, that's a beautiful performance. And to go home and think, that really has nothing to do with my life my relationships. I don't live in ancient Bethlehem. It's a beautiful story, but I'm not connected to it. But we have to realize that the covenant love of God is not only the heart of the book of Ruth, it's the heart of the Bible. The covenant love of God that leads Him to care for Naomi and Ruth through Boaz is the same love that leads Him to send His Son, Jesus Christ, to live and die and rise from the dead, to bring us into that relationship, to bring us under the wings of God. Paul says in Ephesians 2 that apart from Jesus, we're we're far off. We are alienated from the covenant, just like Naomi and Ruth. We're separated from the harvest. But because of the blood of Jesus, we are brought near. We are brought into God's covenant love. We are brought into the life that He is creating through His love. And not only that, but we are given God's presence. Because Jesus doesn't just live, die, and rise from the dead, but He pours out the Holy Spirit on His people. Right? When, when does He do that? Or, or let me ask it this way. At which Jewish festival does Christ pour out the Holy Spirit on the church? It's Pentecost. It's when they would have been reading the book of Ruth. Where there's a connection between God's design and the harvest. Between God's design and God's love. So God takes, and those who are in Jesus, He gives them His love, which is Himself. He gives them His presence which empowers them to live according to His design. You see, it's God's love that enables us to obey His law. And if you miss that, 
The law only is terrifying and crushing and intimidating. But if you get it, if you get that you have been brought near in Jesus Christ, if you get that you have been given the very presence of God, then the law is a beautiful gift. God's design for your relationships is a beautiful gift for you. Let me address here, I think, a bad application of the book of Ruth. A lot of times people read this book and they look at it as a marriage manual because a marriage is coming, right? And it's sort of a relationship manual. That is not the purpose of the book of Ruth. It may have some principles for that and that's fine. But on this side of the cross, the message of the book of Ruth isn't all of you young women need a Boaz. It's that we all need Jesus. It is Jesus who brings us into the covenant love of God. It is Jesus who connects us to the fullness of God's harvest. When Paul talks about the Holy Spirit, which God gave His people at Pentecost, doesn't he describe His work as a harvest? Galatians 6. The Spirit's work in our life is what? It's fruit. And what's the first fruit? It's love. God in His covenant love pours out His presence on us to impart, to empower us to live according to His design. Do you hear the music? Can you hear the music of the Gospel? It's why we gather for worship. It's why the Bible matters. It's why prayer matters. It's why Christian community matters. It is to help us hear the music of God's love which enables us to follow the choreography of His design. Do you hear it? We're starting school tomorrow, right? Life all of a sudden gets crazy. And then college, you know, the colleges are next week. I want to ask you as you begin this very busy time of year, to build into your life times where you stop and listen to God's love. To listen to how He has loved you through Jesus Christ and the gift of His Holy Spirit so that you can then turn into your relationships and they can become expressions of God's beautiful design for them. Because you are reflecting the love that God has shown to you, to those who are around you. When I was growing up, we would vacation um, northern Georgia, Tennessee, in the mountains. And we'd go to these little touristy towns. And these touristy towns always had these um, really awful second-rate country music shows. Uh, they all seem to have them. And you go, and it's everybody who didn't make it in Nashville. And, um, and they would sing, and they would dance, and do all these country classics. And every one of the shows, it didn't matter what town we were in, there was always a point in the show where they would turn up the house lights, and the performers would come out, and they would grab people from the audience, and they would drag them on stage. Uh, they dragged my, my grandfather, who is the squarest man on the planet, uh, up on stage and tried to make him dance with them. That's what it's like for us who belong to Jesus to read the book of Ruth. On stage, not a second-rate performance, a first-rate, beautiful dance of what relationships should look at like. And then God sends His Son Jesus 
and gives us the Holy Spirit to go into the audience and to grab us and to pull us on stage with Him so that we could live lives that express His beauty as we love those who are around us. Let's pray.